following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Great. Well, it's really good to be here. Uh, Thank you for uh, having me again. And uh, because I uh, just flew in yesterday, so I'm really tired, as you can see, um, I'm going to make you do the work today. So don't think you can get off. Uh, I'm going to ask questions. They are simple questions, but they're also questions which will make us think fairly deeply. The answer to the question is never looking at me. Okay? The answer to the question should be in a Bible. Hopefully you've got a Bible with you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. I want to read a well-known passage. Luke chapter 15, often uh, known as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two sons. And uh, we're going to uh, start off reading uh, that. So it's Luke chapter 15, verse uh, 11 through to 31. I want you to see if you can spot anything you haven't spotted here before. So here we have uh, a, a parable Jesus told. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he, that's Jesus, said... There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat. And celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and, and, music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, uh, uh, has come, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive alive he was lost and is found okay first question simple question the answer's not in the passage i've read but it's somewhere nearby who was there when jesus said this parable okay who was there when jesus said this parable don't look at me anyone looking at me you know get points deducted you got to look at the text so uh, hopefully you can find a bible uh, share a bible you know, get it on your phone don't check your email who was there when jesus said this parable Tax collectors and sinners, where do you get the answer from? 15 verse 1. Now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then he tells them, of course, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost uh, coin, and the parable of the two sons. Or um, on one reading, we look at verse 3, and it actually calls all three of them one parable. Okay, where else do we find out who was there? So we've looked before. What happens afterwards? If we look after the passage, uh, do we find any indication of who was there in the audience? Where do we get that from? 
16.1, he said to his disciples. Good. Going on a bit further, do we find any other indications of audience? Where are they? Verse 14, the Pharisees, this is chapter 16, verse 14, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. He said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Uh, So there we have clear indication that the disciples are there. We've got tax collectors and sinners there. And we've got uh, Pharisees there. And Jesus is telling uh, these parables. And he begins with, a certain man had two sons. My question is this, where else in the Bible do I get that phrase? Again, don't look at me. I'm not going to give you the answer. Well, I hope not. Genesis, a certain man had two sons. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that sort of thing happens in two sons. Yeah, that, that's good. Um, who has two sons in Genesis? Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, Abraham gets a few more. Okay, yeah. Who really just has two sons in Genesis? Isaac, thank you. His two sons are Jacob and Esau. Great, okay. So uh, maybe your mind thinks about that when, when, when you've been reading the Bible. But where in the New Testament does Jesus say a certain man had two sons other than in this story? Yeah, okay, I'm not just, that's good. Zebedee had two sons. But there's a time when Jesus begins a story. A man had two sons. Anyone remember it? Okay, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Uh, Matthew 21, 28. Just um, uh, get this uh, story. Uh, So it's not the only time that we have a parable beginning. A man had two sons. Um, As this this parable, it's a short parable. Uh, Matthew 21, 28. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and uh, said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And that's you know, the basic story. So it's not the only time Jesus begins, a certain man had two sons. Does anyone know any knock-knock jokes? Okay. One of the things about knock-knock jokes is you can just hear them once and then you can usually remember them because they, they form a certain pattern. And when Jesus begins a story, a certain man had two sons. It's also a way of helping you remember it because, you know, I bet these two sons are going to be pretty different from each other. It's the way these stories usually go. Okay, a certain man had two sons, and the younger one said to the father, Father, give me the share of the inheritance due to me. How does the father respond? What does he do? Gives it to him. Does everyone think that's the right answer? It's a partial answer. What does the father do? Don't look at me. He gave it to both of them, correct. He divided to them the livelihood, okay? So that means the older brother gets some. Now, let's work it out. What country does this story take place in? Presuming Judea, okay, fine. If it takes place in Judea, what's the inheritance share for an older brother? Double, good. So how much does the older brother get? Two-thirds. If it's somewhere else... Maybe it's not like that. We don't know where the story is set. It's just a story told in Judea. But if it is according to the Jewish rules, then this older brother does very well out of the deal because this is a fair father. He's going to give the younger son his share and he gives uh, the older brother his share too. And then uh, after not many days, the, older, um, the younger brother gathers everything he has and he goes off to a far country. And I want you to notice that word far. And uh, then he, uh, it says he wastes his property living recklessly. Okay, now let's start with the word waste. Where in this context do we get talk of wasting? There's somewhere in the surrounding area, don't look at me, you know, no one should be looking at me, somewhere in the surrounding area where we get someone wasting money. Where? Uh, Try and get a Bible. If you haven't got access to a Bible, I can even lend you mine. Anyone not got a Bible? 
You know, I, I want you... Don't... This is not an exercise in me giving you the answers. I want... Where in the surrounding area do we, in Luke, do we get talk of someone wasting property? The unrighteous steward. Thank you. Yes, very good. Uh, and uh, so that's the immediately following chapter 16. Chapter 16 and verse 1. And he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had an, a manager or overseer. And he was uh, accused to him as wasting his property. Right? So we've got two parables of two wasters bang next door to each other. So, you know, this is the sort of thing we're supposed to notice when we study carefully. So a lot of the time what happens when people read the Bible is they go into autopilot. Oh, I know this story. You know, and, and then you don't notice anything that's actually there. Okay? You know the story. Let's really switch on. So there's two stories of wasters next door to each other. And... Uh, is the waster in Luke chapter 16 the sort of person you should follow or not? Who says yes? Who says no? Well, that all those people who raise their hands, I'm afraid you're wrong. That you're supposed to be like that unrighteous steward, right? Uh, the point is you're supposed to use what you've got now to make friends that will last for eternity. That's what the unrighteous steward did. He was given notice on his contract. He was going to be out of his job. He knew he only had a short time to, uh, to continue his corruption. And so he keeps using his corruption to buy friends who are going to land him a job after he's left his job. Have you ever known corrupt people do that? Yeah. That's what corrupt people do. And Jesus says, that's exactly the same principle that you need to apply to this life. Not the corrupt bit, but the urgency bit about using the resources you have for a short time to make friends. Right? So, in other words, he's someone that you should be like. Now, what do we know about the Pharisees and their response to that second parable about wasting? They sneered at him. Chapter 16, verse 14. Why? Because they love money. Okay, now, <clears throat> when you hear about someone wasting money, how do you feel? Go on, I mean, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. What, what emotions? I mean, if you heard about a friend of yours who had given his son I really, you know, set him up with a nice nest egg and that son had just squandered the whole thing. I mean, the, the father was a really hardworking businessman. He had set his son up, you know, in a great company. It was really set up and that son just wasted the whole thing. How would you feel? Really frustrated. You know, you probably feel anger righteous anger about yeah, that father who spent all of those years working up the portfolio and the son has just wasted it. And the thing about wasted money is when it's gone, it's gone. I mean, there was that time back in the 1980s when um, Britain was uh, in a bit of uh, bother because it was buying its own currency to sort of stop it going down. And, you know, one day, we, I think we spent 15 billion pounds, you know, which was a lot of money back then. And uh, we had nothing to show for it. It was just gone. Like, Wasted. That's the way it is. So what you should be feeling when you hear about this young man is you should probably be feeling quite a bit of anger. He's wasted his loving father's property. What's he been doing? Living recklessly. Okay, how much detail do we have of his life of sin? That's about it. Why don't we have any details about the sins he got into? Sorry? It's, yeah, it's not worth it. I mean, as in when you hear a story of sin, you're never better off. Sometimes you have to hear a story of sin. There's a tragedy that's happened to a friend, and you have to hear about how someone double-crossed them and whatever. But you can't say you're any better off for having heard the story. You have to hear it because you're connected with them and you care about it. But sin is completely boring. So Jesus isn't going to waste any of our time telling us about the details of sin. It's completely uninteresting. And there are so many different ways of wasting money. So this man has wasted everything. And then he has spent everything. Then what happens? Sorry? 
Ah, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, we, we, we mustn't rush ahead. What happens next? A famine. Exactly. Now, uh, in other words, something completely outside his control. He's lost everything. And it's not just that he's lost everything. It's just that when he's down, you know, sometimes disasters happen to people who are already down at the lowest. And they think they're at the lowest. They're not. They actually can get even worse. At this point, a famine uh, happens uh, in uh, the uh, land uh, where he is. And it's a strong famine. And he uh, began to be in want. What does he do in response to the famine? Gets a job. Okay, let's just uh, think about this job. What are the terms and conditions of this job? How is the, uh, it described him getting a job? What's the word used for him getting a job? Hired himself out. Okay, so it's not that someone hired him. He like hired himself out. What's his pay? Zero. Okay. Um, what's he get to eat? Does he get to eat pig food? No, he doesn't get to eat pig food. He wants to have the pig food. In fact, he just wants the worst of the pig food, which is just the husk. He wants the pod, not the really nice bit inside the pod. He would love to have the pod and he can't. No one's giving him any of the pods. So what he's doing is he's doing a voluntary sort of internship. I mean, he's just saying, please, if I hang around, will you give me something? So you see, he's getting no pay. And what, what animals he's looking after? Okay, now just give me a little rundown on Jewish attitude to pigs. Unclean. Okay, so um, one of the lowest jobs you could have as a Jew would be a shepherd. I mean, you can see why. It's the sort of uh, job that um, David's older brothers are going to give to the little brother because who wants to spend time um, out on the mountain, you know, in the cold and, you know, not much to do except, oh no, here comes another wolf. And when you do get to fight off a lion and a bear, no one gets to see it. You can't put the videos on YouTube. So, you know, there's no glory in it whatsoever. So um, what we find is that's a really low job, but you then turn and put pigs on it and it's even worse. So it's the worst possible job that you could uh, have. And um, where is he working? <clears throat> Verse 15. In the fields. Okay, let's notice fields. They might come back again. And what do we know about his employer? How's his employer described? A citizen. Uh, what's that imply? Roman citizen. Well, yeah, we don't know the country this is in. So what do we know about this man and his employer? What's the difference between his, this man and the employer? Okay, so the employer is a citizen and this man is a foreigner. He's an alien. I got called an alien recently when I came over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. He has no rights, no food, no employment, and he's working there out in the fields. It's a terrible situation to be in. And so the use of every phrase like this just rubs it in. And I want you to notice every word in this parable counts. Do you see that you often just take the big picture? One of the arguments for me for the inspiration of the Bible is just a story like this. When I read it, uh, is, I, I can see there is no unwasted word. Every word is just packed with real impact. Um, and, and so what we see is this man reaches a very low point. Um, he desires just to be filmed with the worst of the food. Then what happens is amazingly, he comes to himself. How does he come to himself? It doesn't explain, but he like wakes up. And that's often the way it happens spiritually, that you're in a really dire situation and then suddenly you wake up. You realize what a crazy situation you're in. Now, he had loads of opportunity before then to see his crazy situation. Uh, every time he was spending money and losing money, he had time to see his crazy situation. He could see the crazy situation before he even went to his employer. Uh, but it actually took him to get to this low ebb before he finally realized it and, and so he comes to himself and he thinks about his father's hired servants now tell me about his father's hired servants what what do they get as pay yeah well they get 
pay, don't they? I mean, sorry, just, and it's a really obvious point. Um, just uh, um, this man doesn't get any pay, and he thinks about the working conditions he's in, and they, uh, he's in want, and what are they? They're abounding, it says, doesn't it? And here I am perishing with famine. I know I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he, he comes to that recognition. He realizes he has to fess up that he's uh, been going the wrong way. He's not worthy to be called the son, and he's going to uh, come back. So he really accepts the status of non-son in order to go back to his father. And um, he then starts returning. And then we read, when he was still far away, his father saw him. So we've already had that word far away once. He went to a far land. And now when his father's far away, uh, or when he's far away, his father sees him. Why does his father see him? He's standing there looking for him the whole time. Um, Okay. So we've got the story so far. I want you to pretend you've never read the story before. So he's still far away. The father sees him. What do we expect the father's emotion to be? Seeing this man who went off with, you know, cartloads of wealth coming back as he is. Yeah, if you're concerned about, you know, the bottom line, the money in the bank, then you're going to feel anger that all of that that you had worked towards has been wasted. And what does he feel? In fact, compassion. Okay, he runs. How old is the father? Let's work it out. 50, 60, how do we get there? Well, he's got adult sons, hasn't he? Um, So, I mean, that doesn't quite, you know, give us an exact figure, but we imagine he's getting on. Um, and it seems to have taken quite a bit of time. Uh, if we say that the, all these years at the end of the parable have been all uh, where the older brother talks, uh, you know, years since the younger brother left, um, then that would add on extra time. So he's, he's got a bit of age on him, and, and he uh, runs, and he falls on his neck and kisses him. We're going to come back that phrase the man starts out on his speech uh, father i've sinned before heaven and before you i'm no longer worthy to be your, called your son he doesn't actually get a chance to finish uh, his speech a uh, father says to the servants what's the very first word the father says most translations quick now why does he say that word why why, why that word quick i mean what's the rush I mean, the guy's been away for a long time, so why is he in a rush now? Sorry? Dying of hunger? Maybe he's frail. Maybe he's frail? Yeah. Okay, let's just think about time. How has time passed from the father's perspective since the son went away? Yeah, I mean, it's like really slow. That's the thing. And the moment the son's back, there's no time to waste. Quick. Now, that, that's an interesting dynamic because that's basically the way it should be when anyone wakes up and turns away from their sin towards God. You know, all of those wasted years, you know, you might come to God when you're 60, you might come to God when you're 70. It doesn't matter how much time's been wasted, now there's no time to waste. You know, so that word to me is a really powerful word. Quick, bring out for him um, uh, the best robe and put on, uh, uh, give a ring on his finger and uh, shoes on his feet. Okay, I want to know, where in the Bible does that happen to someone? Where else in the Bible? Yep. Joseph, thank you very much. Uh, so we go to Genesis chapter 41, verse 42. I like it when people have the answer. So um, remember that Joseph has been in prison. Uh, Joseph gets brought before uh, Pharaoh. And then uh, he, uh, what happens is it says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So in other words, uh, we, we uh, see that sort of quick transformation also happening with Joseph. This man has really been fully accepted back. And then uh, they need to kill the uh, very best uh, calf and they're going to celebrate. Where else have we had the word celebrate? In the surrounding context? 
Lost sheep, lost coin. Okay, they both have that word, celebrate. That's a really important word. Okay, because this, my son, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Well, that's a great ending, isn't it? I mean, the story could have just ended there, except it couldn't because the main point comes after that bit, uh, depending on who you are. So the older brother was in the field. What was he doing in the field? Working. Okay, so is this the sort of uh, guy you'd want to employ? Yes, absolutely. He's he's a hard-working person. Um, And uh, what happens is he comes near to the house, and he hears the music and the dancing, and he calls one of the uh, servants and finds out what's happening. And the servant uh, replies that it's his brother, uh, your brother. Now, notice that phrase, your brother has come, because we're going to notice that there is an affirmation by the servant that this man is his brother. And um, your uh, father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back well. How does the brother respond? angry and who would you expect to feel that the father okay so it's interesting that it's the brother who feels what the father would have thought yeah well he doesn't seem to know very much at all yeah but he's still angry you know what whatever he knows he's angry that after his younger brother walked out on the father, which, you know, given that one of your basic commands is honor your father and your mother, this is, you know, the most terrible thing to do. The fact that his father has accepted him back and, and is celebrating about him, uh, you know, is terrible. And so he is angry. And it's almost like he's angry on behalf of his father, you'd almost think. Um, but we'll maybe come on to why exactly um, he's angry. So he's. He's angry and he refuses to go in. So what does the father have to do? Has to go out. So just notice the motion here. Uh, and he says to his father, what's his first word? Look, okay, how does the younger brother address the father? What's the very first word that he uses? Okay, so let's have a look at it. Verse 12, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. When he's preparing his speech, verse 18, Father, I've sinned. When he actually delivers the speech, verse 21, Father, I've sinned. Okay, so one of the things you do when you're talking to your dad, you call him Father. What's the older brother call him? Nothing. I mean, the the older brother just says, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. Now, let's just think about that. While the older brother's been working for all those years, for whom has he been working? Himself. He's been working for his business. And how does he describe himself? He uh, describes himself as, through these years, slaving. Now, what, what is his status? Son and heir and owner. And yet he sees himself as a slave, and he sees himself as slaving for his father. Now, is that true? Not at all. But that's the way he sees it. And I never transgressed your command. I mean, he was just a great son, wasn't he? He never did anything wrong. And you never gave me a goat that I could be married with my friends. Now, let's just think about that. Was he vegetarian for all of those years? (laughs) No, no, no. So you, you don't think he was? Okay, so what's this thing about never having had a goat? Jealous? Okay, now there's a bit more behind it. Never gave me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. Okay, who's he want on the guest list? His friends. Who's he want not on the guest list? Let's think about this. All of these years I've been slaving with you. Why hasn't the meat tasted nice during those years? I've been slaving for you, and you never gave me a goat that I could eat with my friends. Who's he want on the guest list? His friends. Who's he want not on the guest list? His father. That's exactly the point. Because the point is, if he's got his friends around and his father, somehow it's not quite the party he wants it to be. What's he want to do with his friends? What's the verb? 
make merry. Where else does that verb occur in this passage? Younger son, they make merry, don't they? With the lost coin, they make merry. With the lost sheep, they make merry. But he wants to make merry with his friends without his father. And the point is, if, he, if his father's there, the meat just doesn't taste the same. And then he says, and when this your son... Now, just ponder that phrase. How would the servant describe the brother? Your brother. Okay? And he says, your son, not my brother. You see, your son, who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes came. Now, how does he know about the prostitutes? Is it because the younger brother sent postcards and said, I'm having a great time down at the brothel? You know, how does he know about the prostitutes? He doesn't. So why does he think his brother's been with prostitutes? Do you think he was? He was a pretty hard-working son. He wished he had. I think that's exactly right. He has been all these years, he's been eating these meals with his dad, and he's been physically near to his dad, hasn't he? Where, where's the younger brother been all these years? He's been physically far from his dad. So near and far are really important words in his passage. And what we see is though this older brother was physically near, he was mentally and emotionally and spiritually far, far away. He just wishes that he could have been doing what his younger brother got up to. And it said, and now that he's come back, you've killed for him the fatted calf. Notice, by the way, what animal he didn't get. What animal the older brother didn't get? The goat. What a brother, uh, animal the younger brother gets? The calf. Tell me which has got more body mass, a goat or a fatted calf? Yeah, okay. So the, the, everything is just seen um, in this negative perspective. The father says, child, you're always with me and everything that is mine is yours is that true I everything well yeah he gave them the entire inheritance and he lived uh, on the farm after he'd given it because of course he had that social right he's the father but actually the ownership belongs to the son but we had to celebrate because this your brother was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found uh, now how does the parable end? How does the older brother respond? The older brother's not happy. We don't know. That's exactly right. Why don't we know? Because Jesus doesn't tell us. Why doesn't he tell us? Because it doesn't matter how he responds. Because he has a choice to make. Who said that? Great. I think that's exactly the right answer. Because the point is you leave the parable open because the point is the Pharisees are listening. Jesus loves the Pharisees and he wants them to respond. And they have that choice to make. They have to think about this parable and who they are. And are they going to be far off or not? There's another part of this parable I want us to think about. How did the father respond when the younger brother came back? Let's just go through uh, the words used. What's he do? He moves quickly. So what's he do? He runs uh, is one word. Um, what else does he do? Embraced him, yeah, and kissed him. I want to know where else in the Bible, and there's only one other place where someone runs towards someone else and embraces and kisses them. Not Joseph to his dad, but that, yeah, you're in the right book. <laughs> Jacob and Esau. Tell me about it. Okay, so let's go to Genesis chapter 33 and verse 4. And this is really important to realize. Genesis chapter 33 and verse 4. So... Esau wanted to kill uh, Jacob. Who's the older brother, by the way? Esau or Jacob? Esau, okay. And um, when Jacob had set out uh, from his parents' house, how much did he have with him? 
Nothing. When he came back, how much did he have? Loads. Okay. And he sends a whole load ahead to try and bribe Esau not to be angry. And what's it say? Genesis 33 verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Whoa. So how is the father being portrayed? The father is being portrayed as the older brother from the story, a certain man had two sons. You know the story in Genesis, a certain man had two sons. The man was Isaac. He had two sons. The older was Esau and the younger was Jacob. And Esau's the guy who you think of as rejected by God, isn't he? And Jacob's the one accepted by God. And here we have the amazing thing that the father is being portrayed as running towards the son, the response of that older brother. Why? Why does Jesus tell the story like that? What's he trying to tell us? You see, Jesus turns the story on his head. It's a well-known story. He turns it on its head. Just literary illusion in order to show that, you know, it's clever. You're a Pharisee listening to this. You know your Bible really well. Do you think you might spot some of the illusions? Yeah. Okay. So you think about that father and how the father, how do you expect the father to respond? You expect him to be angry. By the way, they expected Esau to be angry, didn't he? And he wasn't. And the amazing thing is that it reminds you that even Esau, that older brother who was rejected, even he had compassion and ran and embraced. The father had compassion and ran and embraced. And are you, the older brother, just going to sit outside and not care? Okay, that's th- that we thought about the parable. What's it telling us? How do we feel about people who waste money? Sorry? We feel rather poorly about people who raise money. That's, that's a nice understatement. That's great. Uh, you know, we feel angry about people who waste money. Uh, we, we feel angry about if there's any public waste of money, you know, any level in government, we feel really angry. We feel about angry when, you know, children waste money. We feel angry just at waste of money. Now, I'm not saying that waste of money is a good thing. I don't think waste of money is a good thing. But when we feel angry... How do we feel about ourselves? We feel we wouldn't do that. We don't waste anything. We're good people. You know, we do things right. It's those terrible people who waste money. You know, politicians, terrible people. You know, we're good people, not like them. You know, I mean, that's the, the way the rhetoric works in England. It, I'm sure it works uh, over here as well. You know, those terrible people and us good people who just keep on working hard in the field. Yeah. And and we're so angry about them. And we feel angry towards, you know, those terrible sinners. I mean, here we are living our righteous lives. And I mean, do you think there's any danger that we could ever be like Pharisees? So we could be just like that older brother. And how far was that older brother physically from the father? Yeah, he probably never even went on holiday. He just worked in the field all the time. He's always close. He's home every uh, dinner time. How close is he in his heart? So we could be people, when we're coming along to church all of the time, we are just great older brothers. We, we could be people who are just doing our bit. We're working hard. We're giving to the church. We're working for the church. We're helping with all the things that need to be helped with. We're behind everything. We're working up. We're not like those terrible wasters. In fact, you know, we think that they need to be kept in quarantine for a good long time. They shouldn't be let in. And what we have is a story of offensive grace. That the father is so forgiving that he's prepared to accept the son back and not just say, well, okay, I will give you a job as a hired servant. You know, you have to start minimum wage and we'll gradually work up and maybe give responsibility. He accepts him straight back as his son and kills the fatted calf for him. Now, isn't that a huge thing where you see the the love and the grace in the father's heart? And that's a picture of whose heart? Of God's heart. 
So we need to get on board with God's heart. Now, this really is an invitation. The wonderful thing about this passage is it can speak to two different sorts of people. It can speak to the sort of people who know that they're not good enough and therefore ready to accept grace. And it it also can speak to people who think that they're already good enough and therefore don't need grace. And the point is, they both, both sets need to come to the Father in that position of love. What strikes you about this passage? Let's have some maybe sharing practical applications from this passage. Anything that really strikes you about what this might mean today? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's right. Good. Anything else? So that's uh, the father went to both sons. Yeah. Any questions you think the passage raises? What about obedience? Uh-huh. Yep. So it's not just a question of whether you obey the rules or not, because the older brother obeys the rules. The Pharisees obey the rules, but as Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So they can obey the rules and be far away. So you could, you could be obeying the rules, you can be tithing, you're coming to church all the time, you're doing all your good bits, you don't, don't have affairs, you know, you know, not into porn, everything, obeying all the rules. Yeah, absolutely. But one of his commands is that you actually love him and love his people. So you can't get away from that. But these Pharisees, these certain types of rules, they just obeyed really well. Um, so, you know, that was, that was great. And, and with that parable in Matthew 21, you know, uh, the, the point is, again, let's just look at the context, Matthew 21. Uh, who is there when that story is being told? Matthew 21, verses 28. Chief priests of the elders, that's uh, from verse uh, 23. Yeah, it doesn't tell us who's in the context, except it does say this in verse uh, 31. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So he's addressing righteous people on exactly this same issue you know that we think that if we just keep all the rules then everything's fine forgetting that it's all about god's grace and it's all about knowing him and no one can be good enough not chief priests not uh, not not pharisees uh, for for god and these people who know that they have nothing the sick who need a physician those are people who can come into the kingdom ahead any other points that strike people or questions? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, you know, for, for the older brother, he had the mindset that he was a slave when he was a son. So all of that time, he had the whole farm to enjoy. He could have lots of meat, have lots of friends around. He could really enjoy that sonship, but he didn't because he had the attitude that I'm slaving for this really hard master. So when he says all these years, I've been slaving for you, is this the first time he's ever expressed discontent? Yeah. Is it the first time he's felt discontent? So he's been feeling discontent for a very long time and he's never expressed it. So in other words, you know, again, you get an insight into what's been going on in the meantime. And this is just the brilliance of the story. I hope you can see what a brilliant story it is uh, because, you know, there's so much in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
That's really great. Yeah, and th- that importance on joy, I mean, that's a big emphasis right the way through. Celebrating being with the Father. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really strange, these first two parables you've got. Uh, the way it's asked is, which one of you doesn't? So which one of you, if you have 99, 100 sheep and one goes missing, doesn't leave the 99? Now, don't you think that's like the wrong way around? Like, which one of you does? I mean, I would look after the 99 and forget about the one. So, but he says, which one of you doesn't? I mean, of course you all leave the 99 there unprotected in the desert, don't you? And, you know, and go off and find the one. And then you bring them back. And of course you have a celebration with your neighbors. I mean, like, does everyone have a celebration with their neighbors when they just found a sheep? I mean, really, do you think that was the culture back then? That every time that they found a lost sheep, they actually had a celebration with their neighbors? No. But, you know, which one of you doesn't? I mean, don't you? Um, and, you know, which one of you with a lost coin? I mean, like a woman lost one of 10 coins and she calls her all na- neighbors together. It's amazing. Uh, by the way, who do they call them together? Um, let's just have a look. Um, the uh, chapter 15 and verse uh, 6, who's uh, the shepherd called together? Friends and neighbors. And verse 9, who's the woman called together? Friends and neighbors, and who's the older brother want to eat with? His friends. Okay, so they're all wanting to celebrate with friends, but they're wanting to celebrate with different people. And for for the older brother, it's really important that the father isn't there. So it's just an interesting, yeah, everyone wants to celebrate. They just want to celebrate different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right, you know, and he says, child, you're uh, always with me and everything that I have is yours. And that really is the case. So in other words, it's not a question of waiting for uh, dole outs. By the way, you know, it's an interesting thing because if we are uh, children of God, then, you know, we have all the inheritance. You know, the idea that we're sort of waiting to be given stuff. I mean, you know, we actually have all those promises given already. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, and then... Mhm. 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 Uh, yeah, I, I'd be content with just a small amount of meat. Yeah. Yep. I think one. Two, yeah. Where's the place for judgment and punishment? And th- there is a huge place for judgment and punishment. Not in this parable. So obviously a parable focuses on one specific thing. And if I'm going to take this parable, I take it as it stands. And I'm not going to bring in all the other things we know from the Bible. So obviously there is judgment. But a really key thing about this is uh, statements like, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, so uh, who has the right to be angry with the son? The father, not the brother. You know, So um, at, the, at, at the end of the day, uh, there is judgment. And the judgment <coughs> for <coughs> either a prodigal son who hadn't returned or an older brother who had kept the rules and never rebelled but was far away in his heart, you know, they are outside of the celebration. So I could say there is a bit of judgment in the, in the parable. Um, you've got two sorts of judgment. Uh, one, a judgment where people like exclude themselves, which we might see as a more passive form of judgment. It's one that sort that C.S. Lewis would often speak about. And then there is in the Bible often pictures of active judgment where like in Matthew, the king judges um, his, his enemies. But yes, we, we could say that if the older brother stays outside and refuses to celebrate, uh, then he will be have the judgment of losing out on that celebration. And sometimes in the Gospels, <clears throat> um, 
Judgment is described as being shut out, the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outside of where the feast is going on. So I think that would be where, where it is in this parable. But obviously, um, you know, the book of Revelation give us, gives us fearful pictures uh, of, of, of judgment from God. But I think a, a key thing is this, that we um, often take it upon ourselves to judge other people to be angry on God's behalf as if God needs someone to be angry on his behalf towards them. Uh, And then we miss out on his heart of love. Um, So yes, we do have um, the principle that God so loves his son that for someone to reject his beloved son, Jesus Christ is a huge thing. Um, So yes, we have lots of, judgment in the bible but um i just want to stay with the dynamic of the passage so i think if i'm preaching on the book of lamentations i'm probably going to be preaching a fairly you know downbeat sermon Uh, that's just important to be true to that passage uh and and does that make sense yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's great yeah Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and really we, we should have dealt with the build up to the parable because you go from a hundred sheep to ten coins to two sons. So the climax, the punch is really on the final one, and just as there's more celebration about the one sheep than about the 99 and about the one coin than about the nine coins, so you need to know that God's heart is really oriented towards saving the lost. And those of us who, you know, uh, might have elder brother tendencies need to recognize that about God's heart. God is declaring that very clearly, uh, and, and that's why you know, uh, this welcoming of tax collectors and sinners, uh, you know, that, that Christ did is so important and needs to be emulated today. Okay, let's, um, are we about done for time? Yep, that's great. No, nope. that's good. Well, thank you very much for all of your input. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.